street epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. Please follow me on Twitter at MagnaBosco or on Facebook and YouTube at MagnaBosco210. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com. Thank you so much for coming. Appreciate it. Um, today's speaker is uh, Anthony Mascabosco, Mag Magna Bosco. Sorry, sorry, I jacked it up. I told you it was going to happen. I'm trying. Can't read my doctor handwriting. It's crazy. Okay, so he's a skeptic and an atheist in San Antonio. Uh, he d has been doing street epistemology for five years, and uh, this is his first Dragon Con. Uh, yay! <laughs> and he survived too. Um, uh, he's uh, Margaret's not here yet, I guess, but he said he's bringing his kids next year and. Um, um, we're trying to talk him into marching in the parade. His favorite thing that he saw was the the handmaids, you know, the women dressed as handmaids. Yeah, that was really something, right? I like the T-Rex that was dressed like a handmaid that was in the parade. It was a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so um, anyway, please an welcome Anthony to the stage. Good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you for the introduction, and I want to thank DragonCon for having this wonderful event. I mean, this is so cool. This is my first year being here. And I do definitely want to come back and talk, uh, bring my family to, um, to this crazy, crazy thing. I couldn't do it justice by explaining over the phone what was happening. And uh, I also want to thank Atheist Alliance of America. It was their suggestion to have some sort of street epistemology offering so I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. And I have to thank the Atlanta skeptics for doing all the video recording and everything that you see here making this happen. So thank you so much for that. Well, my name is Anthony, and I've been going out and practicing something called street epistemology for almost five years now. We're going to completely get into what that is and why I think it's important for skepticism in general. So the game plan for today is we, we have even less than an hour now to get through this, but I want to spend 30 minutes or possibly less going over what street epistemology is so that there's no ambiguity, hopefully. I want to show a 10-minute video so you'll see an example of street epistemology in action, and then I want to spend the rest of the time uh, taking questions from the audience because... Honestly, that's the part that I enjoy the most, and usually that's, I get a lot of feedback on that's the part that they, uh, people in the audience really enjoy the most, too. Okay, so who is this guy standing, you know, sitting right here in front of us? Uh, I've been going out for about five years practicing street epistemology. I read a book by Dr. Peter Boghossian called A Manual for Creating Atheists, where he introduces this idea of how can we have better conversations with people that we disagree with, that we think are wrong? And he talks about this idea of street epistemology, and we'll get into exactly what that is. Uh, but when I first went out, I was bad at it. I, I was still arguing it, and I didn't, I, and I have the video evidence to, to back that up. I was going out with, a, I still do, I go out with a GoPro and start talks with people and I was still falling back to my old ways. I wasn't fully adopting the concepts of the book. So it took a while to finally, to finally dawn on me that, no, I need to start asking questions. And that's when I can see the progress. And uh, I've been, you know, like I said, been doing this for quite a while. And I think I've, I've gotten pretty good at it. Uh, it's not uncommon to initiate a talk with a complete stranger, identify a belief that they hold, that they really think is true, 
And after five minutes, they are usually a little less confident in something that they were absolutely sure was true. And it's very rare to see that these days. And that's why I think that this, uh, this topic is perfect for the skeptics here at this conference. So I wanted to think, okay, how can I boil this down? How can I, how can, how can I express street epistemology as an equation? So I was thinking, well, it, it originated from the Socratic method. And then we add all this other stuff to it. And that's where we get street epistemology. In fact, the author of the book teaches philosophy. So he had that as a background, and I think that was a major motivation. But when we look at the other elements that convert uh, the Socratic method into street epistemology, or SE, it's science. We want to go. We want these conversations to go where the, where the science suggests that it should go, and we want to test it. So some examples here are modern psychology, motivational interviewing. SE heavily draws from motivational interviewing. I never knew it until I started uploading videos and people who are in that field said, I went to school for eight years and studied what you're doing. And, and it's just really interesting to see how it, how it, how it heavily borrows from these. Cognitive behavioral therapy, hostage negotiation, cult exiting, critical thinking, interpersonal skills, communications and linguistics. Something really interesting happened where we were uploading all these videos and somebody said, hey, have you ever transcribed these? No, but sure, let's do it. So we had volunteers transcribe 30, 40, 50 videos. And as, as I was reading the transcriptions, it, it, was, it was just powerful to actually read the words that were being said as opposed to just passively listening to them on video. And I've even lived the exchange, but reading it was different. And I started drawing some different conclusions from actually having read the, having read the exchanges. All right, let's get a definition of what street epistemology is. So uh, I came up with this one. Uh, there's another one I'll show you here in a second. But street, street epistemology is a dialectical approach. It's, uh, it's a conversation, okay? It's a respectful back and forth. It's not just telling somebody, here's the truth. Here's evidence that shows that you're wrong. Uh, but it's a dialectical approach for examining claims through respectful questioning to explore the reliability of the methods used during the belief formation process. And I highlighted the reliability of the methods because when you're having a talk and you're using SE, it's the method that the person used that we want to inspect. I don't really care about their holy book and what their holy book says. I want to know how they determine that the holy book is true. Okay, that's largely what SE is about. And it's so tempting to get caught up in those, those apologetics, uh, the counter-apologetics that we typically get into. Uh, this is a definition that just popped up yesterday. I just noticed somebody added a definition to the Urban Dictionary for street epistemology. I thought it was pretty good a non-threatening, often public discourse designed to identify, explore, and possibly modify deeply held personal beliefs through the use of the Socratic method. I thought that was pretty damn good. Okay, there are two major premises in Boghossian's book when he talks about street epistemology. And the first one is to identify unreliable epistemologies. An epistemology is, uh, an epistem well, epistemology of the word is study of knowledge. Epistemologies are ways that people come to believe the things that they say that they believe. So a couple of examples might be evidence, 
Another example might be, I have a feeling that that's the case. Um, another example might be faith. I know that this is true because I'm using faith to be sure that it's true. So it's not so much important what the person believes or why, it's the method that they're using that we're interested in. Okay, the second premise, and there's, there's several in the book, but these are the two that jump out, jump out at me, is that facts usually fail. When I'm having a conversation, or I'm sure, I would, I would imagine many people here can relate to this. When you're having a one-on-one -on -one talk with somebody and they say something that you think is probably mistaken, if you are to dig up information or provide them with information that shows that they're wrong, they're probably not going to just change their mind when you give them that information, right? Uh, in fact, it's worse. What typically happens is people dig, dig down and actually uh, believe what they believe even more. They'll find a way to discount your evidence. Well, that's an un untrustworthy source. Or, well, that's what you think, but that's actually not true. People usually are pretty good at finding ways to, pro to protect their cherished beliefs. And the book recognizes this. It says, uh, if we present people with facts that show that they're mistaken, they're going to probably ignore the facts and believe what they believe even further. There was an interesting study. This is why I have a picture of a brain here. There were several studies done to examine this, this effect. It's called the backfire effect. So think of a situation where you gather up a whole bunch of people who are right-leaning or left-leaning, and they were these folks that put these, put these individuals in an MRI and asked them where do they stand on, on social issues. So in one example, it was, where do you stand on gun control? And they put a whole bunch of left-leaning people in these chambers and scan their brains. When the individuals were presented with information to show that gun control could actually, uh, that, that restricting, uh, not restricting access to guns could actually be beneficial for society, things that flew in the face of their deeply held belief, two areas of their brain lit up. And the green here is the amygdala and the yellow is the insular cortex. These are the same areas of the brain that will light up when a person is afraid of something. If there's a bear charging at you in the woods, this is what lights up in your brain. Which is really interesting because the conclusion here, I think, is that when we encounter information that flies in the face of our deeply held beliefs, we try to find ways to flee from it or, or protect the belief that we've already formed. And that's the nice thing about street epistemology. It's such a disarming, cordial style that it tends to bypass this backfire effect. And I'm going to show you an example here in a few minutes. All right, so this one is uh, check your toolkit. All I mean here is when you find yourself in a situation, there are a lot of different ways that you can respond when somebody makes a claim. Somebody was mentioning the street preachers were out there at, at, the, at the parade and they were holding up their signs. It's probably, because of the venue, it's probably pretty difficult to have a cordial conversation with somebody who has a sign and they're yelling at you and their buddies are yelling at you and the crowd is yelling at them. So you have to think about the venue that you're in and what your goals are, okay? Um, it might be possible to argue with that street preacher knowing that his wife and three kids are off to the side listening and presenting that individual facts that will bounce off of him, he's not going to be affected by that at all. But people observing might. 
Okay, so I think that there is a time and place for the more aggressive approach. But if I were sitting down with that individual, that street preacher, and having coffee, I wouldn't be enraging with him. I'd be engaging with him. I'd be using street epistemology. Okay, check your world worldview. When we have these talks, the thing that I think makes it different, people hear street epistemology and then they hear religion and then they see a video where somebody's going out with a camera and going on the street and talking to people and they immediately think street preacher. This guy's just as bad as the proselytizers that's out there. But when I have a talk with somebody, I'm not projecting my worldview onto them. I want them to reflect on the worldview that they formed. And that's a big difference. When you watch the examples that I've uploaded, and other people are uploading these too, you'll notice that we're never saying, okay, now that we've determined that you have a bad epistemology, that you don't really have a good reason for your beliefs, let me now show you the right answer. That's not at all what we do. But when you look at a street preacher who's telling you that you're going to go to hell, who's telling you about his holy book, and he's, he, he wants to change your mind and have you believe what he believes, that's where it's different. Okay. Before you can even engage in a conversation, whether you're going to engage or enrage, you need to wait or initiate because you need to claim. I can't have a conversation with anybody about anything until they first make a claim. Seems pretty basic. So a lot of people will look at the examples that are out there for street epistemology and, and the most visible examples are where we're, engage, where we're initiating talks with people. We're saying, hey, uh, stranger, do you have five minutes to, to just chat with me? That's a little weird. But people get the, get the perception that, oh, well, street epistemology means that you have to go out and initiate talks with people, and you don't have to do that. You can wait for these things to happen organically. But if I did that, I probably wouldn't catch them on camera, and I'd probably be light years behind where I am today if I wasn't initiating the talks to practice. And we probably wouldn't have nearly as many examples for people like you, yourself and others to see. So I just want to be very clear on that. A lot of people think that, oh, this means that I have to go out and talk to people. That's not my comfort zone. No, the, the small, the, a very small minority of people in the street epistemology community initiate talks. Um, and, and, get, and even a smaller portion go out and go out and record them. Uh, so I just want to be very, very clear on that. Mm. These talks are effective. After a five or 10 minute talk, sometimes a 20 minute talk, I'll, I'll be contacted by people months, weeks, years later that say that that talk has changed the way that I am. It's changed my worldview. It helped me think about the belief that I hold, and I've changed it myself, but your talk was instrumental in that. So when we're examining these deeply held beliefs, beliefs that are tied to a person's identity, who they are, we have to be there for them. So these days I give out a card when I'm done talking to a person and say, you know, thank you for your time, reach out to me via email. I don't ask for their information. I want to move it at the speed that they're comfortable with. And a lot of people will email me because they want to meet again. They want me to meet their pastor. They want me to meet their mom. They want me to talk to their aunt who has even wilder beliefs than they do. Or they're, they're skeptical and they are just intrigued by the talk. Like, no one's ever challenged me why I don't think a God exists in the way that you've done. 
because I'll have conversations like that. And they want to learn this method so that they can use it with a loved one or a friend who wants them to become a Jehovah's Witness. It's really, really interesting. Um, the point here is that dealing with doubt can be difficult. If anyone used to believe in something very strongly and you don't, and it was largely tied to who you are, and you're finding like all these other beliefs that you hold are changing because of that, it could be a very, very stressful thing. So it's important to be there for people and guide them to a community and guide them to resources if they need it. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna try to finish this in three minutes. This is the typical debate trajectory that I see. And I guess I'll just, I'll just keep using God claims, but SE is not just about God. And I'm gonna show you an example where we talk about karma. But usually what happens is somebody makes a claim and then we give them a counterclaim. And they give us a counter counterclaim and we give them a counter, counter, counterclaim. And then they come back with a counter, 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 counterclaim. So in this scenario, nobody is really thinking about their belief. They're just building these walls, wall after wall after wall. They're building this stuff up. Where street epistemology is more about peeling back the layers, all right? Identifying what you're saying that you, is a reason why you believe, but then really figuring out if that's a reason. And if it's not, let's go lower. So a typical street epistemology trajectory, I think, is somebody makes a claim, I'll ask a question. Somebody gives a response, and then I'll and give them another question. Usually after a little bit of that, we can identify the real reason why they think it's true. When it's a supernatural belief, almost always it's not evidence, but it's faith. Sometimes it is evidence, uh, but it's usually faith. Then I question the foundation. How could you be so sure that your foundation is true? And that's usually when the uncertainty comes in. That's usually when they start to question. That's usually when doubt is imparted. So a lot of this is, let's see if I got the slide here. A lot of this is placing a pebble in a person's shoe. It's gonna be difficult to change a person's mind on the spot. SE is very good about identifying the real reasons why a person believes and leaving them with a little pebble in their shoe so that they will address the pebble on their own when they're ready to do so. When I was looking at the transcripts of the, of the 50 or so conversations that I had, I started noticing a little pattern. And one thing that I noticed is that I spent very little time talking about what they believe. It was important. I needed to understand that they thought a ghost exists, but what exactly is a ghost? You know, define it. Can you give me, a, give me an example? I'd also like to get a sense of your confidence. How sure are you that what you saw is a ghost? Okay, but that's about 10% of the questions that I ask are related to what they believe. When we see debates, it's almost all about what? Homosexuality is wrong because this Bible verse says it. Well, this Bible verse says that. Well, this Bible verse says that. Well, this Bible, we're all, they're talking about what? Progress is made when you move from what to why and to how. 20% of my questions usually relate to why the person believes it. And these are the justifications. These are the reasons that a person gives for being so sure. So in the case of a ghost, a guy said, well, I was in the, I was in the living room and I heard a squeak and it's the same squeak that this cabinet in my kitchen makes. 
And I'm sure it was my mom. That was my mom that was squeaking it because she, she would always pull, you know, pull a dish out of that cabinet. And I just knew that that was her. So we identify why. But what's more interesting, and this is why this takes up like the highest percentage of this, of this graphic, is how. How did you determine that the squeaking cabinet was really your grandmother? How questions are very difficult to answer. How, how questions require a lot of thought. And that's where you can help a person really think about their belief. Uh, in the case of the guy with the ghost, uh, this was really a conversation that I had with him. He, he basically said, the how, the way that I can know that it was my mother that was squeaking in the cabinet door was because I have faith that it's true. And then we can start talking about the reliability of faith. Can we use faith to conclude that it was a leprechaun that did it? Damn. I suppose you could. Really good talk. Okay. I want to show you an example here, and I think we're doing really good on time. We're going to have plenty of time for Q&A. This one's nine minutes long. I want to set it up. It's, I'm, on a, I'm on a university campus in Texas. There's a woman walking by. I've never met her before. And I have a timer, so you're going to see a little timer counting down. And then on the screen, I'm going to show an acronym PART, which stands for the number of times I pause, ask questions, repeat what she says, or tell her something. And there will be a little counter as, I'm, as we're having this, this exchange to understand what she believes, why, and how. We'll be keeping track of that. Hi. Do you have five minutes for an interview? Sure. All right. Awesome. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm live streaming and recording. You down with that? Yeah. All right. My name's Anthony. Hello, Anthony. I'm Kiana. Hi. It's a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> you too. Such a smiling face. Are you happy for about something, or do you um, have good news, or <laughs> you look really happy? Well, school's out, so. Yeah. Yeah. And I you have finals that. next week? Yes. Have, I had some earlier this week, and now I have some. Okay. Yeah. May I get the spelling of your first name? K-I-A-N-A. -A. Kiana. Yes. All right, cool. Key. All right, my name is Anthony, and what I do is just flag down random people walking by okay. to ask them if they hold any deeply held belief that they want to spend five minutes just chatting about, and I time it for five. Exactly. And Yeah, it could be about anything. Usually it's like spiritual stuff, mm -hmm. but it can, it can really broach any topic. Like okay. gods, karma, magic, ghosts, that type of stuff. Let's see. Do you want to burn five minutes and just chat about something like yeah, that? Yeah, let me. Would you chat okay. with me or am I just strictly talking? I'm going to ask questions. Okay, good. And I want to understand why you believe it. Okay, cool. And it's going to be completely like non confrontational okay. and probably even Go fun. Go for it. Time, five minutes. All right. Okay. So you can pick any topic you want. Okay, um, let's go with karma. Karma? Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Before we even get any further, okay. how do you define it? Because I want to make sure I understand it. Hmm, let's see. I would say good or bad, what you do could eventually come back to you. Okay. Good or bad. And that's karma. Yeah. Do you have a, a really vivid example of something that happened that you would say karma? Ooh. For me personally, I feel like whenever I say something mean about someone in my head, or if I speak it out in public, um, I'll like break out. 
And honestly, that's probably not why I break out, but I'll be like, karma. Oh. pimples karma. Interesting. Karma for being being ugly. If you don't think or say anything bad about a no, person. No, if I do. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But if you if you don't say anything bad or think anything bad about a mm-hmm. person, do you notice a, a different difference in your complexion? Honestly, like right now, my skin's on a good on a good turn, and I haven't been thinking ugly thoughts. So. Okay. <laughs> wow. But that's just a small tidbit of something. Like if I litter. Okay. Something bad. I have bad luck, so something bad will happen, and I'm just like, it's because I littered. Okay. Yeah. So if you were driving home, or whatever, mm-hmm. heading home, and you toss out some trash on the road, mm-hmm. and something bad happened to you later, you would attribute it to that. You'd attribute it to that? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'm a strong believer in karma, and if I do something good, you're really strong. Yeah. How sure are you that it's true? Zero to one hundred. Hundred percent. All confidence. No doubt. Zero percent. Uh, all doubt. I would say. 82%. 82? The two matters, yes. What do you study here? I study communication. Okay. 82% <laughs> confident yeah. that karma is real, that it mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's go to this example of you go heading home, okay. trash out the window. Mm-hmm. What would be an example of something happening that you would attribute to that action? Hmm common things that I either break something or okay you'd break a dish or something and yeah break something something will break a nail okay it's just little things I'm just like you know this is because I littered okay is there a certain amount of time that can pass usually happens within the day within a 24-hour period of time you'll get karmically punished for a bad action Mm -hmm. wow (laughs) and i i don't know i just attribute it to those things because if you if you live a good life ultimately good things will happen to you that's how i feel Mm. Mm -hmm. if you didn't litter and you didn't think bad things about Mm -hmm. people or call them names Mm -hmm. or whatever and you were just good for the rest of your life Mm -hmm. would you never experience bad things I think it all goes into my mindset as well so if I think if I live a good life and something does something bad does happen to me I feel like I would have a better mindset towards it like oh it's not that bad you know what I mean like no okay let me me, sorry no it's fine um so if I did something bad, okay. something bad happened, I would attribute it to that thing and I'd be like, I'm not living a good life. Yes. But if I lived a good life and something bad happened to me, I would have a better mindset towards it. Like it wouldn't it wouldn't get to me as much as if I did something bad before. Does it, am I making any I, type of I sense? I think I understand. Do you get what I'm saying? Y- yes. You have a better outlook on life when you do positive things. Right. Even if something bad happens. Even if something bad happens to you, you'll be able to handle it better. Because you're just mm-hmm. like. Yet, how would you know that you being good and avoiding all this? How would you know that it's not karmic punishment? How would I know it's not? Mm. I guess it really just still goes back all into how I like my mindset. Just I'm doing positive things, so this can't be a punishment for all the positive things I've done. It's just. Things happen. I don't know. I'm, Things I'm happen. Crazy. Yeah. 
How do you? I'm like, am I, am I crazy? We have 10 seconds. Okay. And we can go longer if you have the time. Okay. How do you differentiate karmic punishment from things happen? Mm. I think it would be just things that are just, how did this happen? Why did this happen? Uh, oh, that is a good question. You're making me rethink my whole life. Hmm. I don't know. I feel like it would just... If I did something bad and something bad happened immediately after, I feel like this is... This has to correlate. Like, this is punishment. God's telling me don't do that again. I don't know. That was a good question. Because I'm trying to think of anything bad that's happened and I feel like I've been doing good. I usually just brush it off because I, like I said, my mindset's in a different place. If I haven't done anything wrong, I'm just like, it'll get better. It's almost like a snowball effect for me. If I do something bad and then something bad happens, I'm just like, oh my gosh. And then my mindset is in such a bad place. Maybe karma is not even just something bad happening to you, but just getting you in a in a space that just, well, at least for me, getting you in a space that just, to make you live a better life in the end. Huh. Now I'm like, that percentage looks a little, 82%, I'm gonna stick with it. If you have no way of telling the difference between karmic punishment mm -hmm. and things just happening, mm -hmm. why believe in it at all? Hmm. I guess it's just something I live by. It's gonna get me through. Honestly. Is eighty two percent the most accurate spot to be on the confidence? Now it isn't. I would, now you're going to make me go back home and think about this, and I'm like, I need to tell him. Okay. I'll give you a card when we're done so you can, okay, good. can read it again. Because if I get it, I'm going to be like, okay, I have it. Let's see. I would say now that I'm a little unsure. I would go with 53 because I still believe it. I'm like, where am I going with this? 53 now. Thank you so much for your time. You're awesome. Thanks. You are too. The, okay, so that's an interesting story. After that talk, we shook hands, actually we hugged because she enjoyed, and we were just like, we just, we had a moment, let's put it that way. And she was walking away, and as she was walking away, I was still recording, and she spotted three friends that she hadn't seen in a long time. And she was like, oh, Julie, hey, Margaret, hugging. And then she turns to me and says, see, karma. <laughs> and I was like, did she just go back up to an 82? So I ended up talking to her. I flagged her down a little later. She came back 30 minutes later. And we talked again, and we picked up where we left off. And I asked her, you know, tell me about, you know, what went through your mind when you ran to your friends? But we kept, we kept analyzing her belief in karma and the justifications that she has and the reliability of the method that she used. And we had a good talk and she ends up lowering her confidence even more. And she's talking, she's talking it through. 
that, that's the cool thing about this, this example. There's like a minute and 30 seconds where I'm not saying anything. She's thinking it through. Like, that is cool. That is so cool to see her processing this belief and talking out loud. And me, it's hard, it's hard not to step on that silence because it's awkward, like just to be standing there, you know, but, you know, I'm trying to like, yeah, how could we figure that out? You know, try to encourage her to keep going. Um, but she was talking about the second time that we met that day. I mean, I, I can't go to a 33. I, I can't go to a 33 in one day. You know, she, she's processing what her life would be like without the belief. And what's interesting is that while this example is about karma, I've had nearly identical conversations that are on video on my channel. I, I have hundreds of examples like this. Uh, many of them are with, with people who believe in God or they believe that there is no God. And we've had just as many interesting breakthroughs like, like you've seen there. And it's so neat to see. Like, it, it is so rewarding to experience that firsthand and also have the opportunity to tell you about it. Well, how does this all tie into Dragon Con and skeptics? Well, I'm hoping that you see that even though this is a method that was born out of the Socratic method and is gaining traction in the atheist community, this is something that everybody should be using. I would love to see Mormons use this when they talk to somebody about Allah, for example. So this is, this is a human approach. This is not just something that it's for atheism or skeptics in general. But I think like we need to, we need to broaden this out. I want to get this technique out there to people and we need to blow past the atheist bubble. And I think the next step, I mean, the next logical step seems to be skepticism. Let's broaden this out. And I, I want you guys to be aware of it. And why should you use it? Well, as you've seen there with Kiana, that, re that response is typical. Uh, if, you are, if you're respectful and you listen and you repeat back and you ask for clarification, and we were working together to solve the, the challenge. Like, let's examine this together. Let's figure this out. Uh, these conversations almost always end on very, very good terms. So there's almost no excuse not to use this approach, uh, which is really uh, why I'm here to promote it to you. Okay. Uh, this is good. We've got, oh, 25, got 25 minutes left. Is that right? Or are we 25 minutes into the talk? Oh, this is good. Okay, this is more time for the Q&A that I thought. So, um, I don't want to add anything to that. Let's get right into the Q&A, because I can usually take three minutes to answer a response. And also, the briefer that you can be with your questions, the better, please, for everybody, not just me, but for everyone in the audience, too. Uh, yes, sir. I, I just came in about halfway, so I missed probably a lot. Uh, it, it just seemed to me like you're following the old uh, rabbi's uh, uh, standard of answer a question with a question. <laughs> uh, it also, it, it seems to me, uh, is like humor can be used to disarm a situation, keep it from escalating. Say, I used to believe in karma till it ran over my dogma. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, yeah, the way that you approach the conversations, you have to be careful because sometimes making a joke can really turn a person off. So you have to be a little delicate. Uh, building rapport is good. Like, for example, at the very start, I don't know if you caught it, uh, it was finals week, and, and I was actually taking a class at the university, so I'd gone through it. I, I can relate to her. So uh, uh, there's a lot of rapport building going on uh, to make these talks happen really well. I have lots of examples where I've just walked up to somebody and said, hey, I'm Anthony, I want to, I want to find out about your God belief. 
like, and just like, what? What's going on? Why are you recording me? So there's a, like, this has been an evolutionary type of thing. But what's cool is that people are watching the, the transition that I went through with these talks, and they're watching me five years after I started, and they're going off for the first time, and they're nailing it. Like, they're having beautiful talks with people. Uh, and it's really cool to see them just leapfrog ahead because of the examples that are out there. Yes, sir. Anthony, people may be interested in learning the mechanics of it. Where is that board that shows in the bottom of the screen? Where is the camera? How, how are you rigged uh, up for this? Okay, great question. I, there are different ways you can do it. Uh, there's one fellow that has, two, has a table and two chairs, and there's a mic and a camera, and he does, he, he does this in Los Angeles. Uh, there's another fellow in France that does my setup, where he has a GoPro and a little whiteboard and a timer, and he just initiates talks with people, just, just, hey, strangers walking by. So I have a camera. I'll typically, I actually made a video of a behind the scenes that gets into the mechanics of it, like the equipment that I chose, and I point the camera down until they consent to be recorded, and then I flip it up. Um, I love the idea of a timer, because a lot of people, it's, oh my gosh, at least in, where I'm at in Texas, one out of three people will agree to be to, will agree to a conversation, even though they can see that I have like a, a camera and not yet recording them. Many people just want to want to talk about that. They, they're curious. Always oh, doing a survey, and he's, there's a timer, and he's only saying it's five minutes. There's not a big commitment here, and the timer is good too for me because if it's just the person is just maybe being insincere, or they want to preach at me, or they're just not really into the talk. Five minutes goes off, and I can just move to the next person. Okay, yes, sir. Yeah, we got so, a microphone. We, we have a mic back here. Okay, so in your uh, why, as you were talking about, it's, it's mostly faith-based, and you aim your talks primarily at belief systems and structures, I guess, right? How well does this work for politics, where the, the, the hows or the whys may be, I saw this on Fox, or I saw this on MSNBC, and I believe that what I see is true, and this other stuff is, you know, you got fake news and, and uh, alternative facts and all that kind of stuff. How well does this work for, for political-type stuff? Great question. Well, I do think that the process is the same, but I, it does seem that analyzing a person's political affiliation or their stance on some social issue does seem to be harder. It, it seems to be more of a challenge than examining why a person believes in a God. Um, I've got a couple thoughts on that. The first, oh my gosh, so the first is, this is an untapped market in street epistemology. So if you've been looking for a different angle to go out and have talks with people, go to political rallies and start engaging them on their what, why, and how. Okay, it's probably not gonna be faith. They probably think that they have evidence or something like that. Uh, but I, I do think it's it's different. Uh, it's there's some there's some challenges there that are not uh, available when you're talking to somebody about God. I actually ask people now to pick the belief, just like I did with Kiana. I, I broadened it to say we can talk about a supernatural belief, like a ghost or a god or karma, or if you want to talk about a social issue, politics. Uh, let's do that. Very rarely people don't like people usually don't pick the political stuff for me. I don't know why that is. So a lot of my talks are about God. Uh, but um, no, I don't see any reason why you can't use this for politics. The other thing I would just want to add before the next question is that a lot of people are politically motivated 
because they also believe in a God. Right? There's that deeper belief. So why argue with my uncle who thinks that, you know, Hillary Clinton was responsible for Benghazi, um, if he would completely change his perspective on politics if he didn't believe in a God. Like it'd be, it'd be a more efficient use of my time to ask him about why he believes in God because there's hundreds of other beliefs that usually change when a person gets rid of their God belief. Yes? Uh, you mentioned that sometimes you're presented with evidence. Um, what evidence have you been presented with and how's it affected your discussion? Mm, okay. Great question too. So a lot of people, when I ask them why they believe, they say, well, I have evidence for it. What is your evidence? Well, three years ago I was driving and my car just, it just started flipping over. It went into a ditch and I started flipping over and I survived it and there wasn't a scratch on me. They might say that that's evidence or they may think that the earth is flat and, and say, I, here's my evidence for it. We can do this experiment and see the results or they think that the earth is young and they have evidence for it. When a, when a person says that they have evidence, one of the very first things, please don't, this, don't, please don't do this. Don't start sending them links to things and videos and articles that show that they're wrong. Ask them if they would still hold the belief and be just as confident in the belief if they were to find out that their evidence was not reliable. Just ask them. It's a, such an easy question. And if a lot of times people will say, yeah, even if that evidence that I think is evidence didn't exist, I would still be just as confident. Well, you know now that there's some other reason for their belief, and you can talk about that. There are people, though, that will say, no, like, I, I believe that the earth is very young, and here's my evidence, and I will, I will lower my confidence or get rid of this belief if you can show that that evidence is not reliable. If they give you that kind of commitment to change, then you need to work with them with that evidence. Oh, I, I wanted to mention this. I'm glad this came up. A lot of people will, will criticize street epistemology and say that we're avoiding facts. No, we're, we're, we don't want to examine evidence that you're saying that your belief is true if that's not really the reason why. But if it is the reason why, if that is the fact that you're basing your belief on, then yes, of course, I want to get into that. Uh, so there's a distinction there that I think a lot of people miss uh, with that. Okay. So we see in the clip that you explicitly ask for consent before recording someone. Uh, could you elaborate more generally on the importance of gaining consent before interviewing a person? Yeah, good question. Whether you are on the street with a camera or you see somebody post a meme on Facebook and you want to engage with them about that belief, yeah, I think, I think that's one of the very first things that you should do is make sure that they want to participate in this. And you can even say, I was at DragonCon and I saw this guy talking about street epistemology and I watched a few of his videos and there's this different way of talking to people. Would you mind if I, if I just shift gears a little bit and just started asking you questions and to, to probe the foundation, the reliability of the foundation of your belief? You can be very upfront with what you're doing. But yes, you definitely want their consent, whether you're recording them on the street or you are engaging with them over social media or on the telephone or you know, you're on the airplane. Like, I'm going to be flying home tomorrow. It's more than likely somebody will make a claim. You know, they say that they're getting ready to buy a car, but they're not going to buy one of those red ones because those red cars get more speeding tickets. That's a perfect opportunity 
do you mind if we have a little chat? Are you just saying that to be social or do you really think that that's true? Can we talk about that a little bit? I'd like to ask you a couple questions why you think that that's true. And you don't have to be worried about them getting upset because you're not debating with them. They'll probably thank you for the conversation and it might cause them to go research that if they feel like, oh, you know, well, I just heard that somewhere. I don't even know that that's true. Yeah. Hey, Anthony. So um, talking about the social media piece of this, um, I've tried both methods, social media and face-to-face, -face, and I've found that it's almost better to get, maybe not face-to-face, -face, but use social media to make the face-to-face -face connection because I've had a really tough time using social media. So what is your sense on the success of the different ways of talking and engaging with people, face-to-face -face okay. versus online stuff? Yeah. I think social media, or tw like Twitter, Facebook, is, is pretty good for practicing. You know, I can go to a political, uh, let's go, I go to some political news site, somebody's making a comment that I, I think is probably pretty off. And I want to challenge it, and I might just practice with them. But what usually happens over social media is that there are thousands of other people possibly watching that exchange, or at least 10, if it's a, maybe a Facebook page, and people will usually throw you off. So you may want to go like this, just Socratic, let me ask questions to figure out your what, why, and how. And then you get some joker that pops in there that tells them that they're stupid, and then the other, the, that they're arguing with them. So I would say if you're going to do it over text, try to make it private. So you know, invite them to do Facebook Messenger. But ideally, I think face-to-face -face is so much better. Do a video chat if you can't do it in person. But if you can do it in person, that's so much better because I could see Kiana's reaction to my question. I could see the, like, you know, her scratching her head and like really thinking about the belief. And, and then she could be reading me too. So the way that I'm standing and I'm nodding and I'm like, yeah, how can we figure that out? Like, there's that back and forth that you just don't get when you're, when you're typing with people. Um, but a lot of people would prefer to do text-based. They don't like, they're just maybe not, they're not comfortable doing these things face-to-face. So there might be alternatives like, uh, Google, like Google Hangout or Skype where you could be, maybe you can be watching them, but then you have an avatar for your face. They can't see your face or something. But honestly, I think one-on-ones face-to-face are way better. Yes, sir. Uh, about, <clears throat> I follow a NASA website talking about rocket launching satellites and stuff to keep up on the space program. And afterwards on each uh, subject, there's usually a thing where people exchange views and in some cases these just fly off the end. This one person entered in a comment in which he said all these people talking about space flight, travel to other planets, the JPL, are going to hell. He basically said space flight was impossible because it didn't have air to push against. What was the last part? It, it didn't have, once you get above the Earth's atmosphere, space flight is impossible because, okay, and I wish I could talk to this person because we're coming up on the 60th anniversary of Sputnik. This person is basically denying reality, saying space, space travel is impossible. And why he entered in this in a forum that deals with people with space, I, he seemed like he was just trying to start an argument. And I wish... I don't know if I could talk to him over text. I think he would have just flown off. It would be better in front to say, why are you denying all the space that's happening now? And I think it's just evidence of a deeper neurosis that this person has. 
Yeah, those are those are challenging because I, that's a great example of a belief that a person holds because they have a deeper belief. Right? They're dismissing science and all these wonderful things that scientists are, are purporting to have done because he has a deeper belief. Like it sounds like seeing the progress that we're making with science is a threat to his his core belief, which is the God belief. So you can just cut straight to it with him and, and I would invite him to like video chat with you or something if you could uh, and just say, do you mind if you you might have we have a conversation about why you think your God is real. Don't even talk about NASA and the atmosphere and all that stuff. That's, that has, that's all ancillary. That's just noise. You need to get to the core of why he believes. Uh, the other thing I want to add is that people, people sometimes ask, like, um, how do you defeat street epistemology? Like, what, what's a good defense against this? because there are a lot of people who are into apologetics that are worried about this because they can see me have a 10 minute conversation with a Christian and it, all their justifications are just up in smoke. So it's a threat to them. And I think the answer to is how do you defeat this is you, you are just dishonest or you don't, you don't you actually refuse to not partake in the conversation. So it goes to consent. Uh, if somebody doesn't want to have a conversation, I'm not going to force them, but that is one way of, of, defeating street epistemology, I suppose, is to just refuse to participate in it. But the reason that talk with Kiana was so good is because she, she was honest with herself and she was being honest with me. And that's where we had the breakthrough. And she was honest enough to want to come back 30 minutes later to continue the talk. So that's a requirement. Someone has to really want to care about believing things that are true. If you don't have that, then you have deeper issues that you need to use SE on. That's a whole nother talk. Uh, I gave, uh, I made a blog post about that on the Street Epistemology website uh, about truth. Uh, okay, I'm talking too much. Go ahead. It's, it's your talk, right? <laughs> um, uh, I wanted to thank you for the, the workshop you put on the other day, um, which actually got us to do little five-minute exchanges, um, because that was the first time I'd actually done it in real life after following some of your stuff. And uh, while I was tabling for Sunday Assembly over there, uh, a religious person came up, and I absolutely exercised it like that afternoon. Um, and we had like a really great conversation um, to the point where he was sharing some personal stuff that he's been going through and I gave him a card and he emailed me like hours later asking a bunch of um, uh, further questions exploring like you know my religious background and stuff like that um, so the question I'm coming to is um, uh, it seems like he wants to take the conversation in a, in a different direction when I was asking kind of like about the reliability of faith for example um, and he wants to kind of ask me questions um, so I guess I have two one is how, you know, how would you deal with that? Do you kind of let the SE go and maybe just engage with them personally? Or do I try to insist on, like, let's talk about that faith thing again? And then maybe what are, what do you consider to be the success for criteria oh, wow. for when you have Good these questions. conversations? That's awesome. Okay, you may just stay, stay close because you may have to remind me because there's a lot there. Uh, number one, let me just say that I think it's great that you attended the workshop and you were able to employ what you learned hours later. Like, that's, that's so cool to see. And yes, we did a workshop uh, two days ago where we had breakout set. We, it was sort of this, but a little bit more deeper, and we got into practicing it. And uh, okay, so the other part I think is, I think it's great that he contacted you later. That's common. People like these talks, and they're intrigued by them. They've never been asked these questions about their belief before in this manner. I, I would say, at some point, you have to make it a back and forth conversation because you just can't be just always the interviewer and then the interviewee. You need to be equals. 
you need to be open to the possibility that they might be believing something that's true. So make it a, make it a back and forth dialogue. You need to give a little bit. But just keep in mind that a lot of people, uh, you can just even see it if, if I tell them, uh, you know, pick a belief and they say, well, I want to talk about my, my God belief. I'm 100% sure my God exists. And I say, oh, that's interesting. I'm an atheist, so let's talk. That could, just that disclosure could, could jeopardize the, the openness because there's a stigma uh, with with that, the, I'm not saying the, the good news is he knew because I was tabling for Sunday assembly. Like he kind of already knew where right. I was from. But yeah, yeah, it was pretty pretty evident what you were. Um, I'm not saying like hide things from people, but just try to make a determination of when you should be revealing things. You don't want to you don't want to jeopardize uh, the conversation um, by disclosing too you know too much right away. But yeah, it needs to be back and forth. Like be very clear with you know who you are, what your beliefs are, and you can even say. You know, uh, I'd really like to get back to our discussion at the table where we were talking about how sure you are that it's true. What would it take to change your mind? You know, you can, you can always get back into it. But yeah, you'll, you'll just have to go with the flow. Did I miss anything? Was there anything? There was I, a... I did ask about like, what you consider to be success cases, oh, like right. your success criteria. But again, like, you know, if there's no, more... That's, that's a good question. No, we have yeah. six minutes, so, and there's only one more person standing up there. <laughs> uh, I'm going to answer that. Uh, so a success, I suppose, is completely subjective. A success for some people may be, uh, like, let's say I really just are, I, I can't, I'm triggered by, by God believers. And if I hear somebody, be, you know, go on about how they're teaching their kids this, like, I just can't even deal with it, and I just blow up and I start yelling at them. So a success might be giving them the benefit of the doubt and listening to them without without um, yelling at them, shaking their hand, and, and walking away. Other people, it might be having a conversation and obtaining an I don't know from them. If I can just get an I don't know from that person who says that they're 100% sure that karma is real, I'm going to take that as a success. So for myself now, success is having really good examples to show other people because it's kind of gotten more, it's more than just the one-on-one -on -one talk that I'm having because I'm recording it. And there are thousands that watch it, and, and many people mimic it, too. So um, I want to have a good example. But usually, ending on good terms, you know, they shake your hand, they're very happy, they're like, that was a great talk. And I don't even know what your stance is on this. Like, being so neutral that they can't even tell that I agree with them or disagree with them is a really good thing. And then if they say, where can I learn more about what you're doing? Because I want to, I want to learn more. I want to learn this and use it with somebody else. That's like, that's huge. That's a huge success for me. Uh, so I, I think it, uh, to answer your question, it varies. But there are no clear parameters as far as what a success is. This is all subjective, and we're practicing it, and we think it's working, working. We think it's helpful. We don't think it's harmful, but it might be. Just like we had that, that slide of the brain with the areas of the brain lighting up, we need, we need to do a scientific experiment on this. We need a 1,000 subjects in an MRI engaging in street epistemology and seeing what's happening in the brain and doing post-conversation post follow-ups and, and throwing some science behind this. OK. Uh, yes, ma'am. In many of your interviews, such as our, the Keisha interview, she was an excellent interview. She didn't, um, uh, uh, none of that. That frustrates me to no end. How do you deal with that on a daily basis when you don't have a great interview like her? I'm just, 
is guilty of that though, that, that sort of language. So if you look at my earlier examples, I'm, I'm saying like and um, I'll, uh, I'll do the up talk thing. So, you know, you end, your, you end a, a statement with a question mark, basically, you know what I'm talking about? A uh, little vocal fry in there. So I, it, it, these are just things that, that people do. And I try, I try not to get too, um, too annoyed by it. But as, I, as I've been coming and talking more and giving presentations, I'm more aware of it because I'll watch my talks and I'm like, and I'm like, so I say like, you know, why did I say that? So, uh, but sometimes we can have a great talk, but it's almost ruined by the little affectations that people do with their voice and the things that they say. Uh, I don't really have control over it, other than my own. Yes. Uh, I had two different questions. Uh, so the first question being, um, how do you deal with, or, or like, do you have any methods for practicing when like people say something that you're just like, like internally you're thinking, that's so ridiculous. Like, why would you ever believe that? Like, how do you like back off and just keep Can I answer that one first? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there are times where people say things that are so off the wall, you're like, what are they saying? Are they, did they just really say that? One technique is to just repeat it back to them. Like, are you telling me that the reason why you think your God exists is because you had a dream and your dead dog was talking to you? People have said that, like, and they're like, well, yeah, that is, that's one reason, but the main reason is this. So sometimes just letting them hear their own words back will help them clarify what they're saying. Sometimes I'll say, what do you mean by that? So if you're stuck, you don't know what to ask, or you're just baffled by what they've said, uh, if you don't mind, can you just tell, can you repeat back what you've said, but explain it to me like I'm like I'm ten. Uh, just re I really want to understand what you're saying, and then usually they recalibrate and they give you something a little bit with more meat on it. And what was the second one? Uh, second one was uh, for like when you're getting to the foundational beliefs, right? Uh, how do you ask questions about those without sounding condescending or patronizing? Because I had I actually had a preacher that I was talking to from the Reason Rally. Um, he lived close to me, so we met up and, and grabbed some food and talked. And um, he was asking, a, or he was saying that he the reason he believed was because of revelation. He had a revelation, and I was like, well, I haven't had a revelation, so you know, I can't. I can't follow you down that path, right? And it, it occurred to me later, like, well, what else does he use revelation for in his life? You know, does he do his taxes by revelation? Does his car mechanic We think of the best questions reveal? Yeah. And so what but when I'm when I'm asking this him this now, I'm asking over email and I just well I like I realize this sounds extremely condescending and, and I'm trying to, you know, avoid that but still ask the question. Well the main piece of advice I have is just be sincere. Like when I start a conversation with somebody, I really do try to be open to what they're telling me that it's possibly true. Because if they have a reliable method and they're concluding it, that this is true, then I'll entertain the idea and maybe even believe it. So yeah, try to be sincere and try to be open. You can, um, there are so many different questions you could ask there. And it's also challenging too, because it sounds like it started off face to face, but then uh, went um, email or something, text-based. Yeah, just, just try to be, try to model the behavior that you want them to give to you. Uh, be open and sincere as much as you can. Okay. Do, we, uh, hmm? oh. I didn't know if you were approaching to cut things down or if uh, I had well, time. Well, we're, we're at the 60 minute mark, but wait, okay. don't, don't okay. ignore your question. Um, I'd like to give you 30 seconds for shameless plugs. Oh, shameless <laughs> plugs. Okay. <laughs> well, just go to streetepistemology.com 
It's a great website. You can find links to uh, people who are uploading examples, not just my own. There's a link to an app that you can put on your, your iOS or Android device. It's called Atheos, where you're presented with different scenarios. You don't have to initiate talks. They're there, and you find the different responses, and it's sort of a multiple choice type thing where you can learn this. And then go to search Facebook for Street Epistemology, look for the group that has the most members, and submit a join request. And you can meet people who are learning this and studying it and sharing their, their experiences. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. Thank you. Thank really you, appreciate everybody. it. Everybody thank him. Street Epistemology is a technique by Dr. Peter Bogosian in his book, A Manual for Creating Atheists, and his Android and iOS app, Atheos.